This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff. Hello everyone, Karina here. On this episode, I chat with Morgan Vega about their debut young adult novel Sleeping Around, and Morgan leaves a few tips for writers planning on publishing independently. Have a listen. Morgan, welcome to A Story of Sorts. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So much of my life revolves around books. So I'm a booktuber. I'm a bookstagrammer. I have a book blog. And I also make bookish items like stickers and homemade pins for my shops, tear-stained books. But of course, I'm also a writer and author of young adult books. And I work full-time in publishing at the tech book publisher, No Starch Press. Um, and I also do some freelance book editing on the side. But before my current job, I had some other roles in publishing. I did part-time editing for the romance publisher, Scarsdale Publishing, and interned at the intersectional feminist publisher, Corey Press. Um, so I did have some part-time publishing roles before I made the switch full-time into publishing. And I worked in higher ed too um, before making that switch and more to come, but my experiences working at colleges and universities definitely helped and influenced um, my recent release, Young Adult Contemporary Sleeping Around, which is of course set on a college campus. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious about that, which, yeah, we are going to get into that a little bit further, as you said, because, um, yeah, there is something there I really have a question about it. But let, let's first talk about your <laughs> debut novel, uh, Sleeping Around. Tell us about it. Tell us about the plot. Sure, of course. So Sleeping Around is a young adult contemporary following a teen violinist, Corey Reed's transition from foster care to college. So Corey's ready to leave her foster care baggage behind, but when she shows up on campus at Harmony Hall, the dorm for music majors, she finds out something has gone incredibly wrong with her room assignment. And Res Life puts her in a temporary triple. Corey tries to make it work, but one of her roommates does the unforgivable and she ends up sleeping around campus from air mattresses to random couches. So that is the gist. <laughs> Was this always the title, sleeping around? Like, because it's a pun and I think it's really cool that it's a pun. <laughs> or did you have other titles before? No, it was actually the kind of the inciting incident and the title came to me first before anything else, before I started writing, before I had the plot figured out. So it has stayed that since the very beginning. And I was always kind of sold on having that title. So yeah, I'm. <laughs> it's always been sleeping around. <laughs> Thanks a great title, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How did the inspiration to write it come about? Sure. So a couple different things. I will say I will never forget when I was at college, um, the res life, we had more students than rooms. Um, it's mentioned in the, in the book, but it's a common, you know, and working in higher ed too, it's a common practice in res life. Um, and we had a bunch of people sleeping off campus at hotels and all these random places so that definitely colored it but I will say for me I had some 
personal experience with living on an air mattress in college for a while, um, which was interesting too, because my resident advisor, the director of Res Life, they knew about it. Basically, to sum it up real quick, um, I was washing my sheets one day and brought my sheets back up to my room and my roommate had moved her best friend into our room so I basically got kicked out of the room um but yeah so that that happened to me but my little sister too she had an experience um, with her own university of she was a music major and they had put her into a dorm for music majors but she was a transfer not a freshman and so a week before she was supposed to move in she got a call and was like hey we messed up your room assignment we forgot or didn't realize that you are a transfer not a freshman so you can't live in this dorm and yeah so she ended up having to live somewhere else and all worked out but all that to say, I definitely pulled some inspiration from real life of, you know, res life, you, you go to college and sometimes like flukes like this happen more so like it happens more than people think. And yeah, so I, I pulled from actual real life <laughs> events that seem wild, but happen. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> because it made me think, I had no idea about that. Like I never went to college and definitely, of course, wouldn't have gone to the United States since I, I don't live there yeah. <laughs> or, or travel there. But um, it made me think about when airline companies oversell their plane yes. tickets. And I was like, how is this possible? To happen in a college in in college like how how is it because you know you have people having to figure out where to sleep because you kind of thought people were going to give up on it on on a room and then they don't right yes that is such a good comparison I didn't even think about that but yes exactly like that and I Actually, one of my launch team members sent me a TikTok the other day, speaking of TikTok, um, showing this, I forget which university, I think it was Purdue University, but they basically did that very same thing where they they promised more rooms to people than they actually had rooms for. And they made this whole like dorm cubicle, like I'm talking like 20 people, at least in like this. I don't know, one floor of this building. So yeah, it is still happening and it's wild. <laughs> well, but also the fact that you can just have one room assigned to you and then you get to your own room and someone else took over, that is completely wild. Yeah. It did, is. Did, yeah. Didn't the school do anything about it? Because that's one thing that I, I, I kept thinking while I was reading the book and that I wanted to ask, which is you kind of have the feeling in the book that um, the school is basically, yeah, this is out of my, um, I, I cannot do anything about it. You have to figure it out by yourself. And I was like, how can an institution that has so much power and probably employs so many people not have people who are actually taking care of that? <laughs> know what I mean yes yes no I know exactly what you mean and I will say so I I honestly feel like I mean Corey had it bad but at least she was given this temporary triple situation you know of like 
this didn't work, but here, here's an option for you. I did not get a single option. Like my, like I said, like my resident advisor knew about it and I lived on this air mattress for over a month. So it, it was a good long time, but yeah, I think too, and having worked in higher ed, there's just a lot of like red tape politics rules and all these things that you don't know about and Mm -hmm. it should be easy it should be this person needs a new place to sleep here (laughs) you know it should be a simple fix but when you're on the inside of it and I don't know you're just hearing all these conversations it's something simple people don't make it simple anymore (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's wild do you you think it has anything to do with like maybe power and class as well like you think that people who are you know parents who are maybe more powerful or richer or that they can have more say in that and will have trouble with a school or it's just like everybody really has to to deal with that situation if it happens Oh, I am sure that would definitely be a thing that could happen. Because I think at the end of the day, like, you know, I value education. I think it's so important. But at the end of the day, higher ed institutions, like they're a business too. Like they're not Mm -hmm. going to exist unless they're making money. And so whenever we come with that, like anytime, I think, yeah, politics and power and money it all influences how problems are solved, how situations are dealt with. So yeah, I think you're spot on. <laughs> um, why did you decide to write about foster care? And what, what sources did you use to research it? Yes, I love this question. Okay, so I actually have always wanted to foster and I'm actually hoping that my partner and I can someday soon foster and, you know, in the book, you, you know, and the foster care system is definitely far, far from perfect. But I mean, I, my hope is to one day, like our home can be a safe space, like Tom and Catherine's houses for Corey in the book. And I also think too, that many young adult readers will connect with Corey's internal struggles, even if not rooted in the same reason as foster care, because, you know, at the heart of the story, it's about belonging and letting people in and just not demanding perfection when it comes to loving ourselves and others. And I have definitely struggled with those things. I think most people have too. So I think even though the core subject is foster care, I think a lot, there's a lot of universal truths or things that people experience it with it too so mm-hmm. as for research I oh my gosh I can't tell you how much research I did but I read so many research articles and books I'm talking from the history of foster care to specific research on like for one example academic achievement barriers for foster use so I I researched so many things And I've also had people in my life who've dealt with house hopping through their childhood and teenage years and definitely seen the internal impact that that has. And I will say too, a lot of my research was, I did a lot before I even started writing the book back when I was first wanting to learn more about foster care when I had started being like, okay, yes, I I think I'm, I want to become a foster parent one day. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my research 
was just from that. And then also I did even more obviously when the book started happening. Um, another thing too, that I definitely recommend for all writers, whether you're independently or traditionally published is to have sensitivity readers. So I mm -hmm. had multiple sensitivity readers too. So yes, but I, I should mention too, since on the topic of foster care that I I'm also donating a portion of my pre-order and my first month sales to a nonprofit that serves foster youth. Um, it's humankind and they serve all of Virginia where I'm located. And they have this really great like cases for kids program and they give um, foster youth uh, like a, a bag of items. Cause in the book and on the book cover, you see like Corey's holding a trash bag. Cause that's, mm -hmm usually the case where foster youth they're it's go 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 shoving stuff in a trash bag and they're on to their next place but humankind um, the organization that i'm donating to they have this program that gives kids like a bag a book bag of stuff that is their own that they're taking to this new place so they do a lot of great work and i'm really hoping to to give a lot back to them after this first month so wanted to put that in there too <laughs> i hope you get to sell a lot <laughs> like oh, it too <laughs> of course we always want that for authors we want we want i think everybody likes to see authors you know thrive and and especially if it's a dream to to see that dream come true to become like a full-time author but uh, especially when you know there's this old story um i i did not know that you were interested in foster care and i was actually going to ask you like what came first your interest in becoming a foster parent or the story and then you considered it so you you already answered that now and um it's just super super sweet that you're also not only did you decide to talk about this topic and to have sensitivity readers to make sure that you got thing, things right, but you also decided to donate a part of it for for the the, the theme that you talk about. Yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't feel right about it if I wasn't, if that makes sense. Like, I don't, yeah, I of don't course. know how like I could care about it and write about it and not want to you know give back you know so I I'm honestly thrilled that something that I'm putting out in the world like I wouldn't be able to give as much like just by myself but now with having this book that I'm like trying to get people to buy and read um, that not only I'm hoping that they can learn about more about foster care through reading the book but knowing that them purchasing it is actually going to help the pop population they're learning about. Uh, it just, uh, I'm just really happy about <laughs> it. And like you said, I, I hope that I can give a lot, a lot back to, to them. Cause they, like I said, they're doing a lot of great work in my area for sure. Yeah, it's it's especially, we've been talking a lot about, you know, on, on voices writing and, uh, obviously you have yeah. the main character that well you were not in foster care yourself so um yeah it's super nice that you have decided to um donate a part of it to the people who are on foster care yeah. and that you have that you had the idea to to write about that's super yeah. sweet. <laughs> i would also like to know how much are you like the main character like Corey? yeah i i feel like I'm a little bit like all of the characters. So there's definitely a piece of me in Corey, 
I, I wouldn't say I am just a hundred percent like her or anything, but there's, there's some definite, you know, comparisons I have between us. I think there's for one, I definitely like her. I have a hard time making friends and I definitely struggle with perfectionism. And I think a lot of my own history with anxiety and social anxiety and even experience of bullying. Like I think all these things in my past, even though we're not, you know, hundred percent alike or my experiences are different from her. I think that what I have experienced definitely impacted how I wrote for her and how I connected with her. Cause I will say she was definitely a character she was one of the easier characters. I mean, I would hope since she's my protagonist, but she was <laughs> easier to write for. Um, some characters were harder than others, but I feel like it was really easy to be inside her head. And I think who I am now is less like her, but I should say when I, I think six years ago, when I started writing this book, I think I was a lot more like Corey back then. Cause I, I think now I'm at a, better place in my life I've worked through a lot of the things but I think six years ago <laughs> me and Corey were a lot alike and struggling with a lot of the same things <laughs> yeah do you have a favorite scene in this book and can you talk about it without many spoilers sure this is hard I I have so many favorites and of course some of my favorite, favorite scenes come later or even at the very end of the book. But one, one of my favorites is actually at the very beginning. And I, it's when Tom, Corey's foster dad is dropping her off at college. And something about that scene, it's a pretty important scene, I should say, because I think you're learning a lot about Corey in that moment and the beginning of her journey because she she has a lot of growth <laughs> as you can see from that mm-hmm. scene but I think there's just something about it where it's just a tender moment but it's also this bittersweet moment of you're seeing you're seeing Tom wanting to connect with Corey and Corey just not being ready and her still having her walls up and feeling closed off and feeling like she has to go it alone. And I, I think that scene, why it's one of my favorites is because if you compare that with who Corey is later on, you just see how much she has let into her life and how much she has grown as a character. And I also feel like on a personal level, like that's, that's what we all kind of want. We want to be able to one day let all of our walls down and really have true genuine connections with people. So that one, that one's dear to my heart for sure. (laughs) And do you have like um, a scene that was the most challenging or actually not a scene, just in general, the whole book, what was the most challenging about writing it and the most fun? I think the most challenging, this is a a much larger picture than by a scene level, but I started, I started writing sleeping around for NaNoWriMo national writing, wait, hold on, national, (laughs) 
Novel, November Writing Month. Yeah, no, National go. Novel Right. No, Nano Rhyme. Now, yeah, National Novel Writing Month. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh goodness! I usually just say Nano Rhyme. So having to say what it is is a struggle. I used to say uh, Nano Remo before I actually heard oh. someone saying Nano Rhyme. I was like, of course, makes all sense. <laughs> yes, it's coming together now. Uh, yes, but I. I started writing it for NaNoWriMo. We're just going to say NaNoWriMo here yes. on out. <laughs> um, um, so basically, if people don't know, it's where you write 50K words in one month. That's the usually your goal, but you can really set whatever goal you want. But at that time, kind of how I mentioned before, I had my inciting incident and, of course, the name of the book figured out, but I didn't have anything else like I didn't have my plot figured out I didn't have my characters I I had nothing I was just gonna pants it as they say like mm -hmm. I was a pantser but through the whole writing process I learned that I am not a pantser I am a plotter and on the far end of plotting like I want everything figured out I don't want to have any moment when I'm writing being like what's going to happen next? That's not for me. <laughs> I'm too anxious for that. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I think that was a huge challenge because since I didn't have my plot figured out from the beginning, over the course of editing and revising my novel, I rewrote the book three times Wow, completely. So yes, yeah, there's things that it, it was a lot. I mean, I I will say I learned a lot and I'm a better writer because of it, but it was a lot of work and of course, very challenging and it took a lot of time and energy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like I said, um, I'm definitely a better writer for it, for sure. <laughs> this week on Instagram, no, sorry, on Twitter, people are saying, write a book you would like to read because you are going to have to yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, and right. Yeah, I think it's something that people forget, of course, that if you're, you're, you don't just write a novel and it's done, you are going to write and rewrite it and rewrite it again. So <laughs> exactly. Yes. I think now being in that, because I, and very ingrained into author tube. So I've watched so many authors on YouTube just talk about their process and things like that. So I think now I understand that that's the case. Like I am not the exception. That's a norm. Like most authors are going to have to rewrite their books so many times. But I mean, back then, six years ago, when I'm first starting out, I, I thought that was a flaw on my part or that, yep. you know, uh, maybe I'm not a very good writer because, oh, I'm not getting it perfect the first time, which <laughs> is so false. And um, yeah, I think we're so many people, so many authors like that, that should be the norm because no one's story. You should never publish the first thing that you write. It needs editing. We all need editing. <laughs> I remember yeah. thinking, like, I heard people talking about editing, like, also for the first time. And I remember thinking, but if someone is editing my book, then I'm not writing it. 
<laughs> and that was such a naive way of thinking because obviously things require work and extra work right. and you can't just work alone or you shouldn't maybe just work alone on that especially because there are other people who are going to be reading your book but I honestly I honestly thought that like oh if you can't write a book and just be done like the first time around um after your personal revisions then you're how are you writing the book if someone is editing <laughs> so right yes you know yeah I mean? that is definitely oh I had that thought too and yeah but it is so wrong and I will say I I had a couple different editors and the last editor that I had who I completely love she actually did work at one of the big five publishers so she she knew what she was talking about she was fantastic but she made the book so much better like I of course had to implement everything but we yeah. talked through so much of the plot and rearranging things and some of the characters and it wouldn't be the book that it is without her and I have so much thanks for her and I put a lot of money down for that as well so I mean <laughs> but it's, it's that necessary yeah. thing that you know when you're staring at it the same page as an author over and over like I I do editing freelance editing and even I'm missing things because I've stared at the same page for six years now so you need you need an editor <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely and it's still, I mean like I said my idea was completely wrong because you're the editor is just telling you I don't think this works I think this would work like this better but you're still the one writing it in that way right. following directions and you can agree with them or not but you're still the one writing it but uh, yeah I was very very naive in that uh, in that sense I just thought no you just write the book you edit it like yourself you go back to things you didn't like and then it's either published or not and that's that <laughs> uh, yeah well you you are not alone in thinking that I definitely thought that at one point too but yeah I want I want more people to know because I think you know, writing a book, but whatever it is, whatever creative thing you're putting out there, music, art, like things don't just happen like once and you're done. Like it, and nobody is perfect from the beginning. And how, how many more creative people would there be putting out their work if they knew that they didn't have to expect perfection from the beginning so yeah. everyone needs to know you're allowed to you know get help and practice practice and make it better than the first time so yeah <laughs> what, what was the most fun for you the most fun by far had to be just writing about music um so from what another one of my favorite scenes is just Corey just practicing in the music building not much you know happens while she's practicing but just writing about her process was I don't know I, I really enjoyed that and even from writing the music definition so that at the start of every chapter oh yeah that was very clever that was yeah, yeah I really like that <laughs> oh good that was actually so fun to do and kind of like tying in the definition to what is happening in the chapter and it's kind of like a conversation sort of and I think it also helped people who aren't in the weeds of music who aren't musicians ourselves like give some uh, context for what mm -hmm. is happening and I don't know I just really had fun writing about music and I 
actually started out playing the violin when I was little. It's the first instrument I learned. Now, if someone had me play it now, I would not sound good, but (laughs) that's that's what I started out on. It's just been many, many years. And now I play the guitar and other things, but music has always been super important to me. My mom was actually an elementary music teacher and um, she taught me everything I know about music. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think having that color the book, having music be such an integral part, it meant a lot to me as a, as a human to have, to be able to write about it. And, you know, for Corey, it's such a thing that impacts her so much. And it, it is something that's keeping her afloat during the hard times. And I, that definitely resonates with me. I always turn to music when I'm struggling during hard times and things like that. So yeah, I, I think that's another element that a lot of people can relate to is feeling sometimes like music is able to get your emotions, your thoughts across better than you can yourself. So yeah, that was definitely the most fun. (laughs) I thought it was very clever to uh, write those uh, words at the beginning of the chapters because you use them in the chapter. And like, to be fair, like I play guitar a little bit, but I have never studied music except like in basic school, uh, a couple of years, very basic things, just playing the recorder and stuff. So, (laughs) you know, it's the basic stuff that we learn, but a lot of the words, I did not know them. So I was uh, starting to read it and then I, oh, like you're including it in each chapter and that's teaches people what the word actually means without you assuming that the person knows and that that's really nice oh yes and actually fun fact about that and in the back of the book I cite where I got the definitions from Mm -hmm. but the book that I mentioned in the back is actually I had the physical book because it was my great-grandmother's Um, definition of musical terms and that was just a cool thing I I I don't even know if I've told my mom that (laughs) I need to tell her (laughs) oh because she gave me the sneaked out the book (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was cool being able to you know in my very first book it's almost like I'm honoring my great grandma who Mm -hmm. was a wonderful pianist um so yeah I I think that's a a really cool part about the book is Um, I mean, it's not about me at all, but I've definitely (laughs) see parts of my life, see parts of my family in it too. (laughs) And how did you start writing? Like, is it something that you did as a child or did it come later? No, I, I definitely have considered myself a writer from the very beginning. I remember in first grade, not going to recess so I could write stories. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, I've definitely always been drawn to the written word and writing and getting my emotions and my thoughts out that way. But something funny though, is that I actually started writing songs, like songwriting was my first you know, I'm, I'm a writer, I am a songwriter. And then that kind of morphed into short stories. And then that led to novels. So I, yeah, I've definitely considered myself a writer from the beginning. It's just taken different forms, I think, through the years. And as I've gotten more experienced and practiced with it. 
you have decided to publish the book independently. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Why you decided this and how it went about? Sure. So I actually, I originally thought that I was going to traditionally publish and I did all the steps of traditionally, traditionally publishing. So I queried agents. Um, I even went to the Writer's Digest conference in New York and I pitched my book. It was a very stressful situation. You walk <laughs> into this room of all these tables, all these agents, and you just go up and you pitch your book to them. And that sounds scary. It. <laughs> it was very scary. But that was when I was so sure that I wanted to traditionally publish. So that was a way that when I reached out, I could be like, hey, I met you here and you asked for this and they'll more likely read the email or get to it sooner than just a, a cold email that mm -hmm. they get hundreds and hundreds of a day. So, um, but so I, and I had partial and full manuscript, manuscript requests. So things were moving along, but months went by and then eventually years went by. And I just got to the point where I was ready for sleeping around to be out in the world because I, I want to write the next book. <laughs> I want to yeah. put more books out and I don't want to be sitting on this one. And I, I will say too, I also learned, you know, through watching so many author tubers and then also now working in publishing that whether or not you're independently or traditionally published, like you're going to have to market yourself and your book. Mm -hmm. And that is such a huge part of the publishing process such a vital part that honestly, when that, when I learned that I was just like, I'd just rather do it myself. <laughs> I'd rather if I'm going to have to do that and all these other things, like I, I want to be able to touch every part of the process then and learn because I've, I've learned so much from self-publishing and yeah, I mean, I even designed the book cover. <laughs> I've never oh. had done that before. So I, yeah, that was just something that meant a lot to me that if I was going to do this, if I was going to self-publish, I wanted to be able to touch every part of it and learn through every step of the way. And wow, when I publish my next one, it's going to be so much easier because <laughs> I learned so much. <laughs> you already know the steps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you exactly. have... Do you have any tips or words of advice for those considering publishing independently? I think the first, my best piece of advice is to give yourself loads of time and way more time than you think is necessary. I think a, a year out before I was going to publish, I had started making a publishing plan with steps in my, like my marketing plan, all these things. I tried to figure out what I was going to have to do. And I mean, just publishing alone, like self-publishing, you have to research so much into the process and what to do. And I mean, luckily for me working in publishing, I do my current full-time is in book marketing. So I, I know a lot about marketing. However, <laughs> you also know it's super time consuming. So yeah, so I, I had things planned out a year in advance, but my schedule just went out the window <laughs> at, at some point. It just 
completely just was gone. And I had to come to a point of, you know, like whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Like I can't stick to the schedule anymore and that's just going to have to be fine. And just know that at the end of the day, like whatever could possibly go wrong, it's not the end of the world. Like on August 3rd, my book is coming out regardless. So (laughs) it's just going to have to be okay. Um, But for example, of just why things take so long is I, I had thought that I had given myself plenty of time with getting my paperback and my hardcover proofs. Um, so I had ordered proofs for myself and they took weeks to get to me. And then by the time they got to me, I had edits. And so then I go and I add my edits, but then it takes weeks to get it to actually like load in the system and then more weeks to get the final, final proof. So anywho, it is a lot longer than you would even realize. Like who would think like, I need to have two months to be able to get my proofs and edits done. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't know. It, it was just way more time consuming than I even imagined. So that's more of the practical advice, but more of the, I don't know, not so tangible advice. I will say if anyone out there is like me before I self-publish, I mean, even now, there were nights where I would just lay awake, hadn't even put my book out, didn't even have advanced reviewers. And I was just laying awake, scared that I'm just going to have all one star reviews. Everyone's going to hate it. (laughs) I just imagine the worst, you know, and I, I will say it, it's definitely been a journey and I'm not done. Like I'm still trying to be healthier about it and have better self-talk about it but you know get to the place where I I mean I hopefully have somewhat gotten there where it's just you know that your story the meaning matters more than the fear of it Mm -hmm. so yeah so your story and what it means to you and what it could mean to people that read it eventually outweighs all that self-doubt and fear. And I think I got there because, you know, it's out there in the world. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that I think that there was a moment when I knew, okay, it's time to publish this because like, I actually want people to hear this message. Like this message matters more. So yeah, that that's some less tangible advice and, it's hard, but <laughs> believe in yourself and your story. <laughs> and I do have the feeling from what I see online that people are reacting very positively about it. I really like yes. it. Like, I really enjoyed it. So I can only speak about like my experience, but, uh, but I do, uh, I have the feeling that, yeah, it's, it's going, it's going good. <laughs> yes. I have felt so relieved. I think having the advanced reviewers too, there were, I think it got to a point where it's like, oh, okay, like people actually like this. My worst fears aren't mm-hmm. going to come about. So, <laughs> yeah, I've I've been really, really pleased with the advanced reviews, and I've actually had a couple trade reviews, um, and those were really good because you never know with trade reviews if they're going to be super harsh or what. But they mm-hmm. have all been glowing. So I 
I am thrilled as a debut author for sure. <laughs> so now is the the next question after this, like what are you working on at the moment? Because I'm pretty <laughs> certain that that gives you like an extra push to continue to to work on your novels <laughs> and on your stories. Yes, so I actually am working on another young adult novel, but this one is a paranormal. Ooh. So definitely, uh, I know a, a little bit of a turn, but <laughs> it's it's very much in the work still. Um, I have my first draft, but I'm actually, you know, <laughs> going to probably rewrite it all. <laughs> oh. um, but <laughs> part of the good. process, be good. <laughs> yeah, part of the process, and yeah, no spoilers, but it has some themes um, that are really near and dear to my heart, and. You know, I love the characters and sleeping around, but I love these characters so much too. So I'm excited to one day in the future, put that one out into the world. But I will say I have been in the back of my mind, um, sleeping around, I had intended it to be a standalone, but the more that I think about it, I kind of want to write a follow-up novella situation. So we'll, we'll see. So I might come back to those characters again, too. <laughs> About Corey or other characters or another I character? It, I think it might follow another character. Yes. But it, <laughs> yes, uh-huh. it's kind of, you know, I'm still pondering things. But so yeah. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is there is one character that I, I really wanted to see. I could see a journey like there was a journey yeah. happening although it's like you know it's not the main story but yeah I could totally I would totally like to know what went on there because it's something that I again I'm not going to spoil it at all but it's something that I relate to and the mm -hmm. kind of turnaround and journey and getting out of it of it in a sense and yeah that would if it's what I think about then yeah <laughs> I think you know exactly <laughs> yep so right. we're all talking about let's not talk about it but people will have to read the book and I think they'll know yes, <laughs> I think I know I I'm think not so sure too. I think I know <laughs> That's amazing. That, that would be very interesting yeah I would love that <laughs> <laughs> So, and do you, do you have any dates or like, do you have any plans for when you think you would like the, the novel you are writing now to come out? I, I mean, after this, I have learned to give myself so much more time, but <laughs> I would love it if it could be in the next year or year and a half. That mm -hmm. would be my my hope my dreams so fingers crossed for me <laughs> and you're still you're still doing youtube right booktube yes i okay. am more so on bookstagram as of late it's just been really hard for me to make videos lately but yeah so i'm i'm more so on bookstagram that's where i hang out the most but one day one day <laughs> i'll just keep uploading videos because i really do miss it for sure yeah but it's also i imagine it's it's also a lot of work because there's editing in it and preparing for it and uh with uh, i already see the, that with uh, podcasting and it's just audio so with video it uh yeah oh, I imagine it's yeah. a lot of work so you need a lot more time <laughs> exactly yeah it's it's pretty time consuming so I mean, props to all the people out there that are 
are doing a booktube channel on top of going to school and have a part-time yeah. job I don't know how they do it <laughs> yeah definitely because like like I said like you have a one hour interview for example and I'm speaking from my from my experience and it takes you about two hours to edit it you have to right. do the intro etc etc so again but there's no video involved and you yeah. can just repeat what you said if you said it wrong so with video I yeah I really applaud people who are doing video <laughs> <laughs> yes I remember in the beginning of doing videos I would be like I can't publish this because I have lipstick all over my teeth <laughs> like, oh, no. but now now if that happens I'm like I just have the video description of like please ignore the lipstick I'm not filming this again. <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, we were talking about that uh, booktube and instagram where can people find you online Sure. So you can find me on my website, morganvega.com. That's probably the easiest place to go to find me, but I have my YouTube channel, Morgan Vega, and I'm on social media at Morgan Vega, right? W-R-I-T-E. And like I said, I'm definitely more active on Instagram, but you can find me pretty much wherever and you can also purchase Sleeping Around wherever books are sold, including Book Depository and Indie Bound. So definitely go check it out. <laughs> now, the last question of the podcast, which is always a very difficult question for book lovers, of course. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the point. An all-time favorite book and a book you'd recommend right now. Yes, this is very hard. <laughs> um, but I, I always say, say of... sorry to interrupt you, but I always say that people can like it doesn't strictly have to be one book, but just stay within like three, you know, one to three. But it can also be one book. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Yes. <laughs> uh, I will say one of my all-time favorite ones is actually a young adult contemporary. It's Starfish by Akimi Don Bowman. Mm -hmm. And I, it's just so good, but it really came into my life during a time where I really needed it. Um, basically the gist is the main character, Kiko, she is graduating high school and she is gonna be going to college for art. And she's just dealing with a lot of internal struggles, a lot of family stuff going on, personal life stuff going on. But why, why it's one of my favorites is because I read that before I was diagnosed with social anxiety mm -hmm. in particular. And after reading that book and knowing that Kiko has social anxiety, I had never read a book where I felt like just so much of it was a lot of my self-talk in my head and that was just a big moment for me to be able I think any book like that where you feel seen and it helps you understand a part of your identity like it it means so much to me that book and I love everything Akimi Donbowman puts out but that was just the first book that I read and I was like oh my gosh this is something that I deal with and it just meant a lot. So that is one of my all-time favorite ones. It's definitely one that I will continue to reread and continue to tell everybody to read because it just means a lot to me. Yeah. And um, a book that I would recommend 
right now. Honestly, I feel like I would recommend anything by Claire Legrand. <laughs> I read one of, uh, of course, there's Saul Kill Girls. I think a lot of people in the book community have heard about that book. And mm-hmm. it is so good. Um, loved it so much. But I actually fell in love with Claire Legrand with some kind of happiness. And it's a middle grade. Um, there's magical elements to it. But anything by Claire Legrand is just gold and especially some kind of happiness. That's another book where when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is a lot of like internal thoughts that I have too. And yeah, anyway, Claire Mm -hmm. Legrand, Akimi Don Bowman, they're two of my favorite authors for sure. (laughs) Morgan, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been so wonderful to talk with you. Uh, It's just been so appreciated for you to read the book and then also have me here. It's been my pleasure. It was my pleasure too. I really, really enjoyed your book. So thank you for writing it. And uh, yeah, and the best of luck in in the rest of your career. I hope I can continue to read you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Yes, keep on the lookout, but I'll definitely (laughs) let you know. (laughs) Might have you be another advanced reviewer for my future book <laughs> oh that's that's an honor <laughs> Thank you so much. of course <laughs> you can access today's show's notes via my pod page which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash carina Pereira. in there you'll also find a link to a story of sorts playlist available on libra fm containing the audiobooks recommended by our guests which will be updated as the show progresses if you'd like to give LibraFM a try, you can use the code Sorts at checkout to get two books for the price of one. This offer is valid for new LibraFM members in the US and Canada. LibraFM is an audiobook platform which allows you to buy audiobooks directly from an indie bookstore. Check them out. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting a story of sorts on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content, such as early access to episodes, a shout-out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash a story of sorts. I'd also be very grateful if you would simply leave a review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. As usual, I'll be back in two weeks with a new interview, But before that, I will be dropping an episode with the books I have read last month. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 